Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the letter written to the Hebrews, the 13th chapter, where our focus will be verses 15 through 19. That's Hebrews 13, 15 through 19. Pastor and author Richard Phillips makes a very, I think, astute observation in his commentary on this letter written to the Hebrews. He points out in his commentary on the verses that are before us this morning that often a single verse contained within the body of a of a particular book of the Bible seems to sort of just capture the predominant message or even the main application of the entire book. And I think it's something that we see in most of the epistles. For example, in the book of Romans, we almost immediately meet just this sort of verse in the 17th verse of the very first chapter where the Apostle Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith. We see the Apostle Paul do that very same thing again in his letter written to the Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 16, where we, where we read, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The first letter of John, chapter 2, verse 3, does it as well with these words. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. In all these instances, we see a kind of summary statement of the entire letter. In the letter written to the Hebrews, we have a remarkably similar verse before us in verse 15, which says, Therefore, by him, that is by or through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You will remember, undoubtedly, that the writer of this letter has labored quite extensively in vivid detail for his hearers the far surpassing supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ to everything else. He begins to demonstrate as much as early in this letter as the very first chapter. He wastes no time getting to that message, and that message truly is central to everything that follows it. These Hebrew men and women who were wrestling with the very real temptation to flee back into the shadows of Judaism in order to escape serious persecution, to ease their affliction. And the effort that has been before us for quite a while now is this faithful shepherd's plea, his exhortation to them to do no such thing. And to accomplish that task, he knows that he must open open to their eyes of faith the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then those things would at least appear, those things that at least appear to be competing with him for the preeminence would simply fade away 
as the grass. And so he does just that, explaining to them in meticulous detail the way in which Jesus Christ really was the true substance, really is the reality behind every single shadow under the old covenant. And the writer continually then points them to Jesus and towards his revealed unfathomable glory. He shows them how Jesus was indeed the forerunner. He was the trailblazer, the one who has gone before us and set the course for our complete entire salvation. He and he alone has removed every single obstacle. He has satisfied every requirement of the holy law of God on our behalf. And he is even now working at the right hand of the Father, bringing every member of his beloved bride, the church, towards glory where he will one day present us before the Father, glorified and completely unified as his wonderful bride. He has warned them by showing them the folly of the Israelites, those who died in the wilderness, who turned their back on the land of promise, trusting in the foolishness of men men, rather than the perfect and fallible word of Almighty God. He's pointed them to the fact that God has entered into a gracious covenant with his people, one which he will remain faithful to in every detail, having sworn it with an oath by his own omnipotent name. And in doing so, he's taken away the veil that separates us in our sinfulness from him in his perfect holiness. And Jesus Christ, having now entered the heavenly tabernacle, has offered up his own blood to justify, sanctify, and one day glorify every single member of his body. He is the sacrifice that does what the blood of animals could only mimic. He is the greatest high priest. He brings the better sacrifice, ushering in a new and better covenant, and doing it all perfectly thus satisfying the righteous wrath of Almighty God against our sin, receiving the wrath of God poured out upon Him as He stood in our place. He lovingly disciplines us, allows us to enter the fires of affliction in order to mold us and make us more and more into His own glorious image, preparing us, even now, for glory. He has purchased us. He has redeemed us. He alone now is our altar. He is the food that you and I eat unto eternal life. Beloved, the writer of this letter has connected the dots of divine revelation in such a way in this particular exhortation as to let everyone who comes to it see with clarity the progressive revelation of Almighty God and how it all culminated in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hear it. And the only thing we can say is glory. We see Jesus as he is revealed here in this letter. And beloved, we ought to be led into a much deeper appreciation for all that he has done. 
for all that he has accomplished in order to purchase us and to make certain our salvation. It truly ought to cause us to burst out with praise. The way the Apostle Paul does, every single time he even begins to touch on something like the magnificent grace of Almighty God that we find in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his epistles. You read the book of Ephesians, for example, and you see the Apostle Paul in the middle of his explanations of the matchless grace of God in Jesus Christ just continually bursting out into praise. It's the response of the one who comes to the throne of grace with confidence. The one who comes with the full assurance of faith in Jesus Christ that his work is truly sufficient. That his promises are sure. We ought to be those who live our lives in continual praise before the Father who gave his only begotten Son for our redemption. And as we near the very memorable closing benediction of this particular letter, it is this point that the writer drives home with absolute force as a final application of all that he has said regarding the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like for us now to look together at the Word of God, at the text that's before us this morning. I would like you to follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 13, again, verses 15 through 19. Hear now the Word of our Lord. Therefore, by Him... Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must Give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to sit under the preaching of your word this morning. We pray, Father, that you would, through the power of your spirit, open this word to us, that hearing this word, we would be doers of the word, that hearing your word, Father, that we would be transformed by that word for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the criticisms of the Jewish people who were responsible for so much of the persecution of these early Christian converts was that Christianity lacked the outward rites. It lacked the sacrifices. It lacked the ceremonies, the feasts that Judaism seemed to have in abundance and which they believe pointed to its legitimacy. 
So they spoke derisively of a religion that seemed to lack the outward manifestations of true worship. Those things that would assure the worshiper of his or her place before God. Judaism, with its sacred altar, with its visible sacrifices and offerings and its feast days, offered to the worshiper a tangible display of piety. It gave the approaching worshiper something which they were to do unto God. And it is to these types of charges that the writer of this letter now speaks in the text that's before us this morning. And he does it in order to show the folly of any such faulty reasoning. Last week we saw his answer to the lack of Christian feasts as he pointed them to the fact that now that Jesus Christ has come, now that he has been offered as the ultimate sacrifice of atonement, we now feast on him. He is now our food unto eternal life. We now come to him and we partake of our only heavenly bread, the bread that feeds and nourishes our souls to eternal life. The food that they, by their rejection of him, had no part of, had no claim to. Throughout this letter, we've learned much about the merits of such rites as those to which the Jewish people were still clinging to. We learned that their mere existence was but to point towards the Lord Jesus Christ as signs and symbols. And now that Jesus has been revealed, the worshiper must now come to the revealed substance lying underneath the rite itself in order to worship God in both spirit and in truth. And so using again the language so familiar to the Jewish people, the writer now speaks to the sacrifice and the offering of the one who has seen the manifested substance behind all the shadows. And and he's talking about the, the sacrifice and the offering that that one is now to bring. And he focuses primarily here on three such sacrifices, three such offerings that we are to bring before Almighty God, and though they too will have an outward appearance to them, I think we'll see rather quickly here that the motivation or the driving force for the worshiper to come before God now goes far beyond just the outward observance of shadowy rites, divorced, as it were, from the substance that gave them their meaning in the first place. And the first thing that he mentions that we are to bring before God here in a continual offering is a the sacrifice of praise, right? He says, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Beloved, it's at least part of the reason that we are gathered together here this morning, and indeed every Lord's Day, for that matter. We come before God, we lift our voices together in praise and in adoration for His name, which we know is His due. He's most certainly worthy of all of our praise. 
And that's part of the sacrifice, the offering that we are now to bring. And you understand, the writer is not speaking here of coming before God in a manner of simple mechanical or rote duty. He's not calling you to come and offer up sacrifices of praise that are just going through the motions. He's not pointing to these struggling sheep. He's not pointing these struggling sheep, rather, to something that they are now to do to earn the right of being in God's presence. He's not now having destroyed the notion that mere outward rites were the desire of God's heart for the worshiper, calling them to a sort of replacement outward right. That's not what he's doing. He is speaking of praise that thunders forth from a heart and which is given vent through our lips and our mouths. You understand the difference. The prophet Hosea alluded to this kind of sacrifice when he said in chapter 14 of Hosea that we come and we offer up the calves of our lips. You understand? We come and we sing out joyfully to our Father in heaven. We exult with our mouths the very name of Jesus Christ, not because that now is our duty, but because now God has so graciously made it our highest delight to do so. It is our joy to come and to offer up praise. It is our delight to come together with God's people in God's house and corporately give vent to the praises of our hearts. Think about why this is for just a moment. What motivates this crying out of the heart through our mouths? Jesus Christ has come. He has been revealed as the true substance that the rites and the ceremony of the law could only point us towards, like road signs pointing us towards our destination. They point to where we are going. They tell us the distance to our, to our destination and where indeed our destination lies. But they are signs and not the destination itself. They are signs and symbols pointing us to the greater substance. And now, the true substance is in view. He has ripped open the veil which barred us from the presence of God, and now in Him, we are told to come to His throne of grace with confidence, with very real assurance that there we will find grace in our time of need. And beloved, it's glorious. Far from leading us to just trembling and cowering in His presence, we now rejoice to have sweet communion with the Father through the Son. And we cannot help but to praise Him for such a wonderful gift. In fact, beloved, it is our delight to praise Him. You understand, the separation has been removed. 
Our bondage to sin, death, and the devil has been eradicated entirely. We have been redeemed. Our ransom has been paid in full through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now we are told we belong to him. That is our comfort now amid both life and death. We are owned by our Savior. We are his charge. He cares now for us as his own. Therefore, our place with him for all of eternity is completely secure as the charges of our Savior. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The Lord of heaven and earth. And seeing him. Being redeemed by him and through him. He says, forget the altar covered in the blood of bulls and goats. Forget the earthly high priest standing between you and a holy God. Forget the shadows and come to the altar of Jesus Christ and feed your soul to contentment with the bread of life. And so now, we bring what we cannot help but to bring. By nature of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to these precious truths, beloved, we come and we bring our praises. First and foremost, we bring the fruit of our lips. And it's not simply here, one day a week, but our very lives ought to be defined by it. Beloved, have you thought of what it means that Almighty God has sanctified our mouths and set us apart for his service. Now, if you really want to have this illustration at home, you think of Isaiah, right? In chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, in that chapter, the prophet Isaiah, a righteous man by all accounts, comes into direct contact with the very glory of God's presence. And what is the first thing that Isaiah is aware of when he comes into contact with what is clearly holy. He becomes immediately aware of the unsoundness of his speech, of his words. The filthiness of his own mouth. His hand, in the presence of God's majestic holiness, goes instinctively to cover up his mouth, and he cries out in his distress, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. And so what does God do? Does God say, you know what, you're right, Isaiah. Now that you've seen my glory, you ought to be significantly terrified. Go from my presence and knock off all the filthy talk. Try harder to bless me with your mouth. Try harder to speak more of my name. Is that what happened? No, beloved, what happened is beautiful. Almighty God sovereignly establishes Isaiah's mouth as belonging to him. And so he sanctifies Isaiah's mouth. He sets Isaiah's mouth apart for his service. God in his mercy sends for the the hot coals 
of the altar. And he has his angel touch the burning coal to Isaiah's filthy mouth and he cleanses Isaiah's mouth and he sets him apart for a lifetime of speaking for him and for his glory. Now, through Jesus Christ, beloved, your heart has been changed and therefore, by the grace of God, so has your mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And having opened our ears to the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hearts now sing to the praise of His glorious grace. Our lips give utterance to the deep yearning of our hearts to sing the praises of our Redeemer. Not just in our singing, but truly in all of our speaking. Having seen the substance of Jesus, we must now speak of Him. Truly, if we've seen who He, who he is, we can do no other. So we have to set aside foolish talking and coarse joking. We have to set aside hateful wrangling. Stirring up dissension with our tongues, taking part in gossip because, beloved, we must give vent with our mouths the glory that is stored up in our hearts because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the picture. I mentioned at the outset this morning that we see it illustrated in the Apostle Paul's writing. Amid his speaking of the grand, glorious doctrines of Jesus Christ and his church, Paul cannot help but to continually interject with doxology, with praise, with glory. These truths are far more for him than just trivial facts. They're far more than just sterile, logical conclusions. They do far more than just titillate his intellect. They always lead him to offer up, to pour out, to gush forth towards God the praise of his lips. The more he sees, the more he speaks, the more he praises. So, beloved, I'm asking you this morning, is this true of you? Now, I know that our temptation is not to go to an actual I know that our temptation is not to go to an actual altar and to take comfort in an actual tangible offering in the same way that the Jewish people did. But let me ask you this. What do you then consider to be your service to God? What do you offer up to God in order to appease Him? What have you told God that you would be willing to give to Him? Do you see? He desires the praises of your mouth pouring forth from the heart that by the grace of God has seen Jesus. You can do no other. Is your praise but the venting of a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Or is it a strenuous struggling through the motions and what will prove a vain attempt to please him. We see here it goes well beyond just our our lips, doesn't it? 
It's the second sacrifice that he mentions here is our whole life of service. Do you see that? Look at verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Our whole lives are to be sacrifices of praise. With our mouths to be sure, we are to praise him continually. We're to speak well of him. We're to use our words in order to edify his people. We are to bring as a sacrifice and an offering the praise of our words. But we also must praise God with our things. Those very things that Almighty God has provided to us in order to bless others with. I'm not going to spend too much time here this morning because the fact is we've been talking about this very thing for weeks now. You and I are called first to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That love is first and foremost mentioned in our praising God with our lips as they pour forth the contents of transformed hearts. But it's also manifested in our actively loving one another. Beloved, there's perhaps no greater indicator of where you stand with all of this than the way in which you view your possessions. We too often think of the providence of God in meeting our individual needs, but I need to ask you this morning, have you ever considered that God's providence to you may indeed be His providence to another? And I'm not just talking about finances or material things. I'm talking about your time your energy. It is this very perspective that gives such full and glorious meanings to our varied occupations. You do not have to be in ministry to bring glory to God. God uses His people to provide for His people. And so we do everything we do for His glory, right? We we farm, we drive trucks, we nurse, we bank, we do everything to the glory of God. How do you view what you deem to be yours in this life? How do you view things like your money? Does God give it to you to hoard? To pile up somewhere? To be your only comfort in this life? To throw around to your heart's delight? Beloved, if your heart's delight is Jesus, then there could be no greater joy than to share with the one who is in need. In fact, it's your service. It's a sacrifice. It's an offering that pleases God. Do you see yourself as a settler of this world? Building your own little empire of dirt, establishing your own little kingdom right now, all the while mouthing your gratitude to God for all that He blesses you with. Are you a pilgrim here? Spending and being spent For the sake of others, as you continually make your way towards home and glory, with your forehead sent like stone on Jesus Christ, longing to be where he is. Are you clinging to Jesus in this life, or are you clinging to all of your so-called blessings? Do you trust God, or do you trust in the security of your stuff? your own financial stability to be your comfort. 
to deliver you in a time of trouble? Do you see your blessings as God's gift for his people? Or are they simply the world's gift to you? God has given to you freely. He's poured out upon you not only your temporal needs, but every spiritual need that you could ever have. Every single one of those needs has been met in full in the person and work of Jesus Christ. False religion is always exposed by its attitude towards possessions. James in chapter 1 verse 27 defines pure religion in this way. He says, pure religion, undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unstained, unspotted from this world. Do you see, beloved? The Jewish people took much pride in offering their cakes their bread, their grain to God upon the altar in the tabernacle or the temple. And here we are now called in Jesus Christ to freely give of ourselves for his work, our time, our stuff, even our very lives in his service. He blesses us in order to bless his church And to bring glory to his own holy name. We are saved for this purpose. To live lives of worship. Lives that are sacrifices of praise before the face of God. Blessing others as we speak to the praise of his glorious grace. Beloved, we confess this very thing in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 86, we just looked at it a couple of weeks ago. It asks, since then we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of ours. Why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image. That with our whole life, We show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing and that he be glorified through us. Then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof. By our godly walk, win also others to Christ. Beloved, this is your sacrifice of praise. These are the ways that the word of God says that your gratitude will shine forth like the sun. Why do we look for some other way? This way cannot be manufactured. If these things are to be found flowing from us, then we must be in the process of being renewed by His Holy Spirit after His own image. These are the Christians' sacrifices and offerings, lips that cannot help but to praise Him for who He is and lives that are spent being a blessing to others. And then finally, we see our sacrifice and offering here in the third and final sacrifice or offering that the writer mentions as he closes this letter. You see what he does. He points them to those who have been called to be their spiritual leaders. And he calls on them to see them for what they are and to follow their faith. They are those who have been cloaked with the very authority of Jesus Christ, put here not to torment you, not to lord over you, 
but to watch out for your souls. Do you see that? He says that he has placed them here as those who will give an account. Those who watch over their souls. Those who do exactly what this writer himself is in the very process of doing. Pointing them to the glory of Jesus Christ. Calling on them to trust in Jesus Christ. To trust God alone who is always faithful. And to persevere by faith. Shattering the false doctrine swirling around the sheep, looking for whom they may destroy, and doing so by unfolding for them the gracious work of God in Jesus Christ. Beloved, they, your spiritual leaders, have been ordained for their work. You recognize the true from the false by whom or what it is that they point you to for your comfort. The false point you anywhere other than Jesus. They point you to themselves. They say, be like me. They point to prosperity, to power, to influence. Let your flesh fill in the rest. But beloved, the true can point you to nothing other than Jesus Christ and his wonderful gospel. And the writer says, obey them. Learn from them. Heed their warnings, follow their faith, cling to Jesus as they cling to Jesus by faith. Love them as they have loved you. Because the truth is, they're not here to gain the respect of men. If they are, they're here for the wrong reason. They're not living to hear their praises upon your lips. They are here because God has ordained it to be so. And they are those who will give an account to the Father for your souls. For your souls. Beloved, consider the weight of that verse. And when you, when you do, I'm certain that the elders that are here this morning would agree with me that When I echo the words of this writer and I beg you, pray for us. Pray for us. We do not seek your obedience and your your cooperation so that we may appear to run a tight ship. The truth is we want like nothing else for you to see Jesus Christ in order that you may be saved. Not for our benefit, but for His glory and for the blessings of His church. If I point you to Jesus Christ to work to His glory, then my conscience is clear because indeed I can do no other. Beloved, heed the gospel. Heed it. Cling to Jesus and persevere to the glory of God. Your sacrifices are no longer merely external acts of obedience and the letter of the law. But they are the produce of a heart that has been transformed by the mighty grace of Almighty God. You do not strive for them. They pour out of the heart that has been made new 
in Jesus Christ. And beloved, God is pleased with what he himself has done. So give utterance to the praise of your heart and live each one of you for the blessings of others. Be a blessing even as you have been blessed and gifted for that very purpose. And live in joyful harmony with those who feed you the only food that will nourish your soul, that will strengthen your faith, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we must let our love towards God and our love towards our neighbor be the very things that define our religion. Amen? Let's pray.